Hey guys, welcome back to the New York Film Academy Hour. I have a very special guest in today who's going to tell us all about getting your scripts right, and then most importantly, how to get them out. How do you sell them? Where do you send them to? Manager or agent? What's going on? He's going to help clarify. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hey guys, uh, if you know that sound, that is Superman. It is beautiful. Uh, the great John Williams, of course. To my left, the great Adam Feiner. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I love that you snickered after I said that. Uh, I'm good. Thank you. Well, I, that's how I introduce myself normally is the great Adam Feiner. So, yeah. you know. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Adam is a senior faculty member at the New York Film Academy out here in Los Angeles uh, in the screenwriting department. Very serious business happening over there. Uh, or not. If you ever go to the screenwriting <laughs> department, you know there's tons of Funko Pop toys, candy, and a lot of Star Wars memorabilia. It is for sure the most familial of departments, uh, maybe very closely followed by the equipment department. Those yeah. guys are, are linked in, they're together. Uh, <laughs> but you guys in your office, in your nook, yes, there are lots of Pop Funko. Uh, great like selection of comic books, random. Like It's a really fun place to be. I escape there sometimes during my day. Um, <laughs> We always start with the same question at mm -hmm. the top of every episode, and that question is, when did you know that you were in love with movies? Oh, it's interesting, because I grew up in Los Angeles, oh. so I grew up in and around movies, but nobody in my family was ever in the entertainment business until God. I got into the entertainment business. Um, but I remember as a kid, age 13 or so, you know, riding my bike up to Universal with my friends, and over the years, sneaking into the Universal backlot over time. Don't um, do that, kids. <laughs> you can't do it anymore. It's much more difficult. Um, and then eventually, actually, my first job was working in a video store. Yes. My second job was working at Universal. Wow. So, um, actually, that's a lie. My very first job was as a DJ at age 15, 16. Then it was the video store. But, you know, we'll, we'll let the DJ thing go away. What kind of records were you spinning? no. no. <laughs> I have questions. I was, to be fair, I was mostly the business manager guy of the okay. group. So yeah, all right. I love it. I love it. Okay, so you're you're working at a video store. You're breaking into the Universal backlot. Uh, We're not breaking, <laughs> just meandering around. It's just a nothing little beanie, illegal. Man. Come nothing on, a little, nothing illegal. <laughs> um, so. What what are the first kinds of movies that you fall in love with? Like uh, I am a sci-fi uh, geek, you know. I should have known from the song, yeah. Yeah, and you know, Star Wars was probably the the movie that really captured me as a kid, and uh, it just went from there. You know, uh, anything related to action, sci-fi. But, you know, Ferris Bueller to this day is one of my favorite movies. So, you know, it's I'm from just... Chicago, so it's a long-time hallmark. Mm -hmm. Okay, so sci-fi. Are you reading comics? I am. I, I grew up on comics. So oh, awesome. uh, I probably... Uh, God, uh, the collection is ridiculous. It's filling an entire storage unit. Hopefully my wife's not listening because she's no longer able to go into the storage unit. Um, <laughs> so it's... Uh, it's been a long time collecting, a long time reading. Um, I think I keep Meltdown Comics uh, in, in business at this point. I was going to ask if you had a store. Meltdown uh, is great. I love Meltdown. I love House of Secrets. House over of Secrets, in where Amy Dallin lives. Mm -hmm. She's one of my favorite people on the planet. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, both are really... I, I like sending people to Amy because... Uh, you don't know what kind of comic books you're into, she's really great at being yeah. like, okay, well, just tell me what TV you yeah. like, and, and I'll get you started. And Paul over there and Eric, yes, they, they're, yes. they're great, but Adam and and uh, Jacqueline, all the people at, at um, Meltdown are fantastic. So, you know, it's it's such a good community, oh. and I think that's one of the things that works so well in the screenwriting department is it really is just a, a community. It's a group of people who really like each other and like working together um, and have common uh, interests and, and goals. So I think it's one of the things that really makes for a great uh, relationship, a great friendship, and, and a great department, and it translates to our students. Totally. As an early nerd, are you writing, are you doing early adaptations of fan fiction? Are you writing Star Wars characters? You know, it's funny because I really do come at this from a business perspective, but yes, as a kid, there was fan fiction. There was, you know, I, I still have notepads with scrawling uh, next episodes of Star Star Wars. And I, I look at the filmmakers today, the the J.J. Abrams, the mm. the Ryan Johnsons, and um, and you know that those were what, that was what they were doing. And so now we just have multi billion dollar fan fiction because they're able to play in that in that sandbox that. Every kid growing up in the 70s and 80s wanted to play in. Totally. It's interesting that you mentioned the business aspect of writing because, like, when I think artists, business is, like, usually the last thing I think of. Now, obviously, they go hand in hand. You have to be able to sell your art in order to continue to make a living being an artist. But I feel like the brain space, it just takes a lot of artists so much longer to get to the business aspect. How do you? How did you get to the business I, aspect? I think, uh, I think that's very, very true. <laughs> I think... Um, there is a, a feeling that the business is scary and uh, daunting and outside of what a creative artist does, creative artists writes or directs or acts or, uh, or films or whatever it might be. Uh, and the producer is the one who, you know, has to put all the pieces together. But uh, one of the things that I strongly advocate and teach is you're a creative entrepreneur, no matter what level you're at, no matter how you're approaching your career, if you're not approaching it in some aspect as an entrepreneur, as a business person, you're really restricting yourself from what you can do next. You're holding yourself back. So uh, I think it's incredibly important to actually focus in on the business aspects, to understand what your career goals are, to understand why you're doing it. I used to do a class called the reality check. And the reality <laughs> check broke down what what it's like to make money in this business and how much money you can make and all of the challenges with making money. And I would always ask students, why are you here? What is it that you're here to do? And anybody who said, I'm here to make millions, I would ask them, why don't you get into something that's easier to make millions at mm. than trying to make millions in the motion picture or television business. become an investment business. banker or something. My goodness. And, and literally, a friend of mine once said that to me. I said, I, I would do anything for money. And he said, then go become an investment banker. Those were literally his words. Mm -hmm. um, it, you have to do this because you are a storyteller. But storytellers don't need to be afraid of the business aspect. Nowadays, businesses are looking for storytellers to tell their stories. So you're already steps ahead of most Fortune 500 businesses that don't even know how to tell their own We're stories. We're talking about brand marketing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And, and content marketing and all of it. People are looking for ways to tell their personal stories mm. uh, or their business stories. As a creative artist, an actor, a writer, a director, a producer... Um, 
you know, a cinematographer, any of those aspects, video games, uh, animation, you are a storyteller and part of your story has to be about yourself and how you promote yourself in the marketplace. So what are some of the things students or, or just anyone watching, I guess, can do to help them get over their fear of the business side of things? And that was a the deep <laughs> sigh as I drank that water because it was super <laughs> – it's such a tough thing to do. The, mm. the, uh, it's hard to talk about yourself. Um, even the best of us have a tough time talking about ourselves. And I'm not saying I'm the best of us. I'm just saying, you know, I, I've gotten to a place where it's – second nature to sort of talk about various things. We create a script around what it is we, we do and how we do it. I've probably said my life story, you know, 40 times in the last 10 years. Um, find a way to feel comfortable talking about yourself. Feel comfortable talking about what you do. Uh, I always tell students, you have to be confident, just not cocky. Mm. There's a there's a fine line between confidence and cocky. I might be verging on the cocky line right now, but... Uh, I'm perfectly comfortable talking about my experience and what I do, and you have to you have to sort of get that second skin and feel more comfortable with how you discuss who you are, what you do, what you have to offer. And the other thing to keep in mind, and I think this is something that creative artists forget, the industry needs what you have. This None of this works without writers. None of this works without actors. None of this works without directors, producers. The industry doesn't exist without the creative artist. So knowing that you have something valuable to give, um, not just that you're, uh, you've got the super cool superhero story in you, but that you actually have a story that somebody else is going to want, is going to need. And that's tough to sometimes get to, but realizing that you provide something that is necessary is a way to sort of help you feel more comfortable talking about it. Totally. I feel, okay, so let's say you, you get the talking about yourself and being confident, uh, which is really challenging. I've been in a room full of, of uh, journalists who were twice my age and, and the only one my age looking around and I feel very out of place. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, you shoulders back and, and you charge through – you're starting to make the connections. To me, I think the next business step where people have the most trouble is the money part. How much do I ask for a script or, or the hours that I'm working? And then once I have it, you know, it could be like three years. So I'm like, we're ha- balancing it. It's it. It really is very tough. Um, you know, I get asked that question all the time. What do I charge for my time? Well, uh, up till now, you were charging nothing. So what is your time <laughs> worth now? Um what do you think the the people who are hiring you is are willing to pay you? Um, and there is a lot of sort of second guessing yourself, a lot of trying to figure out the that that starting place. Um, you know, you for for writers, you can always go look at what the WGA minimums are. The the likelihood that a uh, that an up and coming producer is going to pay you WGA minimums is very very small. But you at least get a sense of what the next step is for you. You know, when you get to that place where you are pursuing uh, jobs in in WGA signatory companies. Uh, for those of you that don't know, WGA is the Writers Guild of America. They are the guild that represents uh, the writers. Uh, there's also the Directors Guild, which represents directors. The Actors uh, Guilds, which merge, which is SAG-AFTRA. And uh, then you have the Fun-Filled Producers Guild, <laughs> which doesn't make as much sense to me in terms of guilds are there to protect 
their members. The producers are generally the employers. But what the Producers Guild does so well is they protect the credits of producers and they ensure that producers are receiving the credits that they've earned. So uh, they do; they really do have a, a strong uh, position in the in the industry. So look at the guild or union that you're that you're wanting to be involved with, whether it's editing and joining IATSE or being a grip or a gaffer or any of those things. Looking at those areas to see what their minimums are is a really helpful way to sort of go. Okay, that's what I'm striving for. Uh, what I actually am going to charge right now is what I need to survive over the next few months. Um, because you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, I had a client, so I, I also, I'm going to give a little more background on that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I started my career, uh, at universal. Uh, I was very young. Um, I literally walked into universal studios marketing department with a friend of mine who was there to pick up a check the exact same day somebody had quit. And I said, I'm here. They said, whatever, fine, you're hired. The fates aligned for you. Holy cow. And a lot of that, a lot of what happens in this industry is that. But it was also the relationship because my friend was already working there. It was also the fact that I was reading scripts from the age I was 13, uh, 16. I was trying to find material because I, I loved this. And I didn't necessarily know what this was. Um, when I was at Universal, I was working in the marketing department, and I was helping uh, colleagues develop their scripts. I didn't understand what development was at that time, but I had an innate sense of how scripts work. So I was at Universal for 11 years. I left and became a literary manager and um, managed writers and writer-directors. So uh, when I look at all of this, I look at it from the perspective of a studio exec, a manager, and then eventually a producer. I've produced several fun-filled sci-fi channel movies. Awesome. Um, sure. Uh, they're fun. Um, I grew up on sci-fi, so to me, that's really cool. You've probably seen a few of them. <laughs> um, but I, I sort of focus in on how my clients, how my students can take their experience, their knowledge, and take that to the next level. And one of those things is you have to realize that today's paycheck may last you for a while and you have to understand that that day job that that allows you to pursue your career is not soul-crushing and devastating. It is the thing that lets you do what you are going to eventually do. So, you know, if, if you're working as a barista um, but you're still able to write at night or you can go out and audition or you can... Uh, direct shorts on the weekend or shoot web series, that's awesome. That's great because that's allowing you to build your portfolio. It's allowing you to build your career. It also allows you to take a job that maybe pays you $1,000 for a full feature film, which, you know, writing an entire feature for $1,000 is not really kind. Not ideal. But it happens. And I've had friends who have done it for bigger companies who have written $1,500, $2,500 projects because they're not guild members and they wanted to get a project made. I think there's something to be said for having to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, what about those in-between jobs? Because I've been talking to a lot of my friends are like circling between like 22 and 33 and so they have you know they're they're in they've like broken into the industry they're meeting the right people they're going but like their job is just so not where they want to be and there's like i'm not seeing like where i'm gonna rise up is it is that the time to like 
buckle down and, and try to make scripts and pivot out? Or is that the time to kind of continue to build those contacts and, and wait for your entrance? So um, this is normally the point where I go to a whiteboard <laughs> and I draw a brick wall. Mm. Um, and that brick wall is the, the five to ten year brick wall. And oh. that brick wall's job is to scare away everybody in the industry who's not ready to keep bashing their head against that brick wall. What happens in that five to ten years is you bash your head against the brick wall so much that either you walk away beaten and bloodied or you make a crack in that wall because your head is harder than the brick wall. Copy. To exist in this business, your head has to be harder than that brick wall. Um, it's odd that that's so comforting <laughs> right now. It's, it's amazing, though, because I've talked to students about this for years, and I've had students tell me one of the things that was most beneficial to them, among all the brilliant things I've told them, one of the most beneficial things was that brick wall, because that allowed them, when they hit it really hard, and it was days away from giving up, they remembered the brick wall, and they realized that if they just stuck around a little bit longer, they'd break through. Now, to your question of whether... It's better to keep, you know, slogging away at the day job or make a break of it. You know, I was at Universal for 11 years in marketing. About year six, I went, I want to be in production. But at that point, I was already moving my way up in marketing. And I chose to not go back and be an assistant and not try and work my way up again. And it probably stalled my career by a few years. But... In the long run, what it allowed me to do was it allowed me to understand motion pictures from their earliest stages, even before uh, development, all the way through post-production and distribution and marketing and home video, because I worked with the home video people. So in retrospect, it was the right choice. At the time, sometimes it feels difficult that you're not making the leap. It also allowed me to build a career as an academic and to to build a career as an educator, which I am thrilled to be able to do. It makes me very happy to watch the next generation come up and, and build their careers. So sometimes it's tough to be in that position where you're surrounded by what you want and it doesn't seem like you're you're getting it yet. Um, but know that you're putting the pieces together. Know that it's one conversation away from connecting with the person who's going to be your future partner or from connecting with the person who's going to hire you for the job or from building a relationship. I mentioned Ryan Johnson. Um, I remember seeing Ryan Johnson at Sundance with Brick. Yeah. And he was so excited and it was so, so was compelling. Like 07, 08? Oh, oh, I gosh. think it was, yeah. Yeah. What a difference a decade makes. That's incredible. But that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Ryan Johnson built a career slowly. And he did some amazing work. But he hasn't done that much work. He's done some amazing work. like this, Looper. I think there's one other film. Brothers Bloom. So Brick, Brothers Bloom, Looper, this. um, Some of my favorite um, Breaking Bad episodes and some other television. And then Star Wars. That's incredible. So... Talent mixed with a little uh, little magic. There has to be a little magic in there. Mixed with timing, mixed with dedication and persistence and not giving up. Those are the things that are going to allow you to break through to the next step. The, the, the hitting the brick wall 
will allow you to know that you're probably on the right path. My mantras this year have been patience and discipline as I, uh, you know, try to conquer new things. So that's awesome. Okay. So you've made a script. You're, you're being patient and disciplined and beating your head against the brick wall. Um, it's time for a next script. Like, you know, a lot of kids leave with the script that they're going to shop around at festivals. Like, you know, they're like, hey, this is my script or, or I finished this short. I'm going to take it to some festivals, like circulate it around. And I was told uh, last week by Cricket um, that for those of you who didn't watch, go back and watch Cricket. Um, you she should talks always about- watch Cricket. Just if any <laughs> chance you get, she is Amazing. She also works in the writing department. Yes. She mentioned that. But she also runs the festival coordination uh, section of Naifa, too. So she gave us some tips on how to break in. And one of the things she said we needed was a next project, something that was ready to be developed. So uh, Cricket is not only right, she's absolutely right. Um, and I say that a lot. So, you know, she hears <laughs> me say that quite frequently. Um, the fact of the matter is, as a manager, I never looked at somebody unless I looked at least three of their scripts Um, because a good script can be a fluke several good scripts mean that there's possibility three good scripts means there's talent Um, the other problem is if you get your script into a competition uh, the next thing that anybody at that competition is going to say is so what are you working on now what else do you have uh you cannot live on one project alone. It is one of the tenets of the screenwriting department. We have our students writing multiple scripts at a time. Uh, we have our students uh, leave the program with anywhere between five and seven projects under their belt wow. before they get out of the marketplace. Um, and that's and for those, a two-year program, right? And that's for that's for a uh, MFA or a BFA um, wow. Uh, or an AFA, actually, you you put a lot of time. Even our one-year students leave with a ton of material. They leave with a pilot, a spec, uh, two features. Yeah, so at least four oh, projects. Gosh, okay. So, but that's that's been the tenant of that of the department is that writers write. This is a, this is a tenant of mine. If you're not writing, you're either a wannabe or a has been. Which is mean, I know, but I don't think so at all. <laughs> because here's my thing: like I back in the day before everyone had a camera on their phone, uh, you know, if you couldn't afford film, like you might still be a photographer while you're trying to save money to get film, or you know, making a feature is stupid expensive. Like you could still be a filmmaker and, and working to get that money, but for a writer, you just need pen and paper. Yep. So there's really no excuse not to yep. be writing if that's what you want to do. Well, and in today's marketplace, you have amazing tools. Um, you know. Final Draft is the uh, you know the the industry standard. Uh, it's available on your Apple devices. It's available on your computers. It allows you to format material. Um, it allows you to sort of understand what a script looks like and and easily put words on a page. Now, at full disclosure: I will be leaving here in uh, about half an hour to go to Paramount Pictures for the Final Draft Awards. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm not trying to to sell Final Draft. There's other pro- programs out there like Celtics, and but don't try to write your script in Word or Pages. It's oh, much gosh. more difficult. Um, Just the formatting alone will kill you on that. Yeah, be someone but, a wizard. But Final Draft has allowed 
anybody to to have access to what a script should look like. Mm. It doesn't mean that you can tell a story well. It doesn't mean you understand the tools of three-act structure or eight-sequence storytelling, but it does mean that you can at least make it look like a script. Totally. Um, you have to understand how a script is written. You have to put that work in. And uh, it's one of the things that I love with our program. We really show students various tools to writing a script. Not literally the tool of Final Draft, although they understand how to do that, but the tools of different methods of storytelling, whether it's eight sequence or three act or Blake Snyder or any number of other storytelling uh, tools that all just come back to basic storytelling, beginning, middle, and end. Um, but our students understand all these, and so they're able to find the method that allows them to tell stories the best. And so you get all of these tools together, and going back to what Cricket said, you have to have multiple scripts under your belt. I uh, I remember signing a client who uh, she had 15 scripts. Uh, I read five of them. They were great. And I had to sign her because she was that talented, that smart, that savvy with scripts. I have a friend of mine who I met at Sundance years and years ago. And um, she had something like 20 scripts. But she didn't have the structure or the formatting under her belt yet. She had a very strong sense of story and character, but she didn't really understand screenplay structure. Over the years, she took classes. She learned how to write uh, in screenplay structure. She learned how to hone her voice. And I think in the last couple of years, she sold like three or four projects. Wow. So... And this is a long time. It 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 wasn't overnight. Sure. She was she was at that ten year brick wall and struggling and trying to find her 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 voice. But once she did, it, you know, the gates opened a little bit. Um, so it's a challenge, but you have to have more more material than just one thing. One thing can get you contest wins. It can maybe get you an agent to sell that project, but that agent's not going to represent you beyond that if you don't have other material and managers are really looking at you for a long-term career mm. they want you to have multiple pieces of material so what is the di so an agent it sounds like from context is somebody who's going to just uh help you sell what you have right now deal with you know the materials basically what you bring to the table whereas a manager is looking at your career like the length of your career that's how i that's how i describe okay. it I, and generally again this is the point where i go up to the whiteboard um but the way I look at it is an agent's job is to sell. Their job is to negotiate your deals. Their job is to know everything that's going on in the industry so that they can hook you up with open writing assignments or if you're a director, open directing assignments or if you're an actor, hooking you up with, uh, with the right auditions. Um, the manager's job is to help you build your career. They're there, you know. I'm going to give you my sexist uh, definition of agent manager. So this is the 1950s, and it's the 1950s nuclear family, and uh, the agent is dad and the manager is mom. Uh, the agent it's dad... It's a good analogy. <laughs> the, the agent dad goes out to work. He brings home the bacon. He... Uh, he sits down and, you know, tosses the ball with little Billy and plays dolls with little Susie for about 10 minutes. And then he goes and has a scotch and sits in front of the television. Um, mom makes sure the kids are clothed, fed, uh, that they get to school on time, that they do their homework, that they, uh, that they are 
doing everything they need to do, that they brush their teeth, that they wash behind their ears, all of those things that happened in the 1950s family. Uh, that's the difference between the agent and the manager. Um, and by the way, I say this is sexist, but I was I was mom in this instance. That's who I was. I was the manager. My job was to ensure that my clients were doing their homework, meaning writing, that they were working on uh, their their style so that they could go out to meetings and, and knock people's you know heads off with their not just their material, but who they are and what they offer. Uh, that they felt comfortable. I, I spent hours working with clients on pitching, on meeting etiquette, on uh, on the tools they needed to go out into the marketplace, on networking. Um, to this day, one of my one of my clients, uh, he sends, and this is him. This is not me. He sends thank you notes. He sends uh, gifts to people. He he follows up on birthdays. It's it was a great skill for him to to really connect with people. And he did that on such a wonderful level. But we worked really hard on making sure pitching was comfortable for him. And we spent hours on that so that when he did go to those meetings, he felt really comfortable talking with people. Um, It's difficult to sort of, in this day and age, totally separate what an agent and a manager does because there's so much more overlap than there used to be. Mm -hmm. But agents can procure work Managers cannot procure work. What does that mean? An agent can get you a job. A manager can't get you a job unless they are working with an agent or an attorney in something called safe harbor, which allows them to work together. So one of the questions people always say is, then why do I need a manager? Well, the manager is going to help you develop your material. They're going to help you develop your voice. They're going to help you develop your script itself. They're going to help you get dressed and go into these meetings. They're going to make sure your hair is in place, whatever it might be. Um, The agent... My favorite things was going into meetings with clients where agents would say we're different than every other agency. We develop clients. (laughs) Well, you can't all say you're different and actually be different. So, you know, agents, while they want to have the time to develop clients, they're spending so much time knowing what's going on in the industry that that's a challenge. So they really need that balance with managers. And I think sometimes the industry forgets that. Definitely. So, okay, um, what have we learned so far? You need to have multiple scripts. You want to make sure that you're familiar with the structure. Uh, when you are ready to start shipping yourself around to festivals, you want to make sure you've brought those multiple scripts so that you can find the right people to help promote your next project, whether it be a, ta- a manager or an agent or both working together. Um, I guess now is the time when I want to get into working with people so Mm -hmm. like a lot of times you know writing is such a solitary moment um and and that's true of screenwriters too typically until your script has sold now i know sometimes you sell it and you're that's it it's like you've sold it you've given up your baby and you need to move on to the next project but sometimes you stay on during like filming and you get on set is there well i guess first personally do you do do you have a preference or, or do you have a preference for your clients is there a way that's better um, writers are often forgotten once the <laughs> once the project has gotten going. That's not necessarily the case. Some writers will have in their contracts that they will at least get to visit set. Um, generally, once a director is on board a project, they're going to run the show on set, and they don't often want the writer around having actors go up to the writer and ask questions. If, you know, they want to be able to control that. Now, that doesn't mean that some movies had, don't have writers on set. 
you know, we're seeing more and more writer directors these days. But beyond that, sometimes they'll have writers on set doing rewrites as the project goes along. Not necessarily where you want your script to be mm-hmm. of doing rewrites as you as the movie is shot, but it does happen. Really, when you're a writer, your job is to create the great blueprint that all of the other team members then take to build the movie or the TV show or whatever it is. Now, we are talking movies right now, but this is very different in television. So in television, uh, the showrunner of a show is often the executive producer and the, the the writer and creator of the show. Not always, but often. So they, in television, it's much more of a writer-focused industry, which is why you keep hearing that lately, that television is, is a writer's medium. Film really does become the director's medium once the script is done. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not your baby anymore. That doesn't mean you can't have pride in it. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't want to distance yourself if they change it too much. But... It, it is really, after you've written that blueprint, it is the the production designer, the wardrobe person, the hair and makeup person, the the teams that put the project together with the director overseeing and the actors and bringing your characters to life. And it is fun to be on set to see that happen. Um, but but at that point, you probably had to let your, your baby birds fly. Definitely. We had one of the writers for Wonder Woman come on uh, to the school, and he was gave us a lot of information uh first seven people worked on writing wonder woman uh so his script was the catalyst essentially he did write an entire script but at the same time based off of his blueprint six other writers were also working on that script and then producers would come in and lay it over and he seemed very um simpatico with the whole thing he was like you know it is what it is i knew what i was getting into um but do you is there an advantage to working independently and then trying to sell your script if if control of the initial product is important to you or is it cuz like I, I feel like everyone's or at least okay so a lot of my friends are like I want to work for a studio like they're big they've got the money they're going to you know get all of the stars in your film there's a lot of fancy appeal to it but a lot of that control goes out of the window but it's so hard to work as an independent writer i, well, I imagine uh, when you're starting out, you're writing spec scripts. You're writing material that's your original material. I would strongly advise you not to write a Wonder Woman script unless you are hired <laughs> by Warner Brothers to write a Wonder Woman script. I say this because I actually had friends who wrote a Batman script, and it actually got onto list as one of the best unproduced Batman scripts. But that's unusual. You don't do that. You're infringing upon other people's copyright. In this case, a major studio that is going to sue you for copyright infringement. Um, So you're going to be writing your own material. You're going to be creating brand new characters, brand new worlds, uh, unless you option the rights to something from somebody else, a book, a comic book, a TV show uh, that you've always wanted to to remake. you can do that. There are ways to go out there and find material that you love, that you can option, that now has an underlying um, source material behind it. But the truth of the matter is most writers starting out are in that solitary stage, coming up with an idea. Maybe they have a, a writer's group or, in our case, classes where they can bounce ideas off of each other, um, which is fantastic because then you do have that. 
But a lot of time you're solitarily sitting in a room working on stuff. If you have managers, eventually you'll be sending them either treatments or outlines and then pages as you go along so that they are involved in the process. But even if you're writing for a studio, one of my clients, uh, very first project he sold was to Universal Home Video. And he wrote a massive treatment, went into the studio, they gave him they, they, he pitched them an idea. They liked it, wrote a treatment. They then, uh, they then had him rewrite that treatment multiple times, had to write the script, wrote the script all by himself. There was no real input from the studio at that point once they had given him notes on the, on the treatment. Uh, gave us the script. We gave him feedback, brought the script back to the studio. So even then, even when you're being hired by the studio, you're still in a room by yourself writing. Um, and there's no guarantee that you're going to get that, what we would call an open writing assignment, that's going to be the next Wonder Woman. Mm. The likelihood is, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to present your spec script to somebody and they're going to really like it. And that's how your career builds. To put into perspective how hard it might be to get the Wonder Woman script, the guy who wrote the Wonder script, Wonder Woman script that came to NYFA wrote the comic book Wonder Woman. It's that challenge. <laughs> like he was like, yeah. he didn't think he was going to get the job. So it's mm-hmm. very challenging. Um, so then I guess my next question is, the dream for a lot of writers now is TV. Um, not only does it eliminate that kind of alone factor, you still... For those of you who don't know, uh, television writing tends to be a, at a table. It's a, it's a, what we would call a writer's room. And yeah. so there's there's uh, the showrunner. There's potentially other executive producers in there. There's producers. Um, what's interesting in television is once you actually get above the lower tier of writers, um, most of the titles are producer titles, even though you are a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, it is one of the differences with television. Television, you probably are going to start out in a writer's room as a PA or a runner or an assistant to one of the writers. Um, You might be the writer's assistant in the room. Uh, Then there are various ways you move up in the writer's room. Um, But you probably tend to start at that lower lower tier of writer's assistant or even a a PA in the the writer's room or uh, at least with the production. Yeah. We had um, another writer for Rick and Morty come into school and talk about his experience. Uh, he, oh gosh, what was the show? Was it Rick and Morty? It was. He, so he started, uh, he worked as a PA for a lot of animated shows. Then he came on to Rick and Morty as the assistant in the writer's room, which sounds like the craziest job like ever. Just the amount of um, listening and transcribing that you have to do, because it's not just that you're, you know, getting coffee and stuff, which you do, but you also are taking notes on everything they're saying, which is like, I kind of like this idea, but I don't know. You have to catch that. Put it down in a note that makes sense when they read it later Mm -hmm. that can also be used in a script when they take it home. Like, it is a lot. But he talked about how he knew the script better than any... Like, he knew everything about that. He's the show's dictionary now. Um, Which is kind of fascinating. I know I went through a short writer's program at Nickelodeon, and um, I've seen kind of the inner workings of those things. What is the best way if you want to get into writing for a television show? Like, is it about having specs? Is it about ingratiating yourself to current writers? So the market has changed a lot over the years. Um, when I was a manager, what you used to do is you would write 
a spec. Okay, so we have to define spec here because spec is different between film and television. Is it? Yes. Fascinating. Spec in film is a speculative script. It's a script that you're writing in hopes that somebody will want to do something with it. Brand new original material. You're not writing it based on anything else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In television, a spec script is still a speculative script, but it is a script based on existing material. So... For in, in the example, um, you know, you might write a spec Rick and Morty script or you might write a spec um, Spider-Man, uh, Marvel Spider-Man script. It's the one place where you do write um, copywritten material, unlike film where you really don't want to do that because nobody can do anything with it. Um, spec scripts in television used to be very valuable because that's how people could tell that you could write in the voice of the creators of the show. I remember back in the day uh, before Seinfeld, or not Seinfeld, um, before Curb Your Enthusiasm came back, um, people used to write Curb Your Enthusiasm specs, which was hysterical because it was a scenario-based show. It was not a scripted show. They would riff. It was a lot of improv. But people could show that they really understood Larry David's voice. They got Jeff's voice. They got all the voices on the show. Um, Spec scripts today are a good tool for contests, for fellowships, and to really hone your chops as a uh, someone who might eventually work in a writer's room. The difference today is people are looking more at pilot scripts, uh, oh. original pilot scripts, and, um, and proposals that go along with those pilot scripts way more than they ever did before. So... Um, What's the reasoning behind that? I don't know what the shift is. I'm not okay. 100% sure why it happened. It happened about five or seven years ago where people just wanted to see original material. Um, so pi- spec scripts are really useful in terms of there's a lot of fellowships. The Nickelodeon mm-hmm. one, was it a fellowship you did? I was just with one of the producers was nice enough to let me go in oh, and nice. like sit in on a couple okay. of rooms. I applied for the fellowship twice it's highly they accept like between two and five people a year so it's crazy i will be applying again this year um because this is a super incredible opportunity um and there's a lot of fellowships like that there's uh the studios have some great diversity writers on the verge the diversities Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because the studios themselves are not great at diversity so they they create diversity fellowships so they can get better at it um networks uh have a lot of them um so fellowships, you know, if you go look at the WB Fellowship, um, they'll have a list of specs that they will accept. Uh, and so that's those are the specs you write to try and apply for those fellowships. Otherwise, you're looking at creating your own material. Um, now, that doesn't mean anybody's going to buy your original material right now. It's, uh, it's a challenge to get it out there. But they are looking at original material. And again, a lot of these contests now also look at pilots. Uh, as well. So specs are great to hone your skills and really understand the voice of the creators and to get out there for those fellowships and contests. Original pilots are great because uh, that's what people are looking for now. Okay, so final question then. Mm-hmm. What is one of the Does most... the final Jeopardy song play? <laughs> I know we have the Jeopardy song on the board. Um, but as you... You've seen so many writers come through, whether they're your clients or your students. Is there a mistake that they tend to make the most on the business side that, you know, you can maybe help give some some future writers a heads up about? So one of the things I see a lot is that young writers write about Hollywood. Mm. Um, You're only allowed to write about Hollywood if you've been in Hollywood for years. You're not allowed to write about Hollywood if you're just starting out in your career. Um... 
uh, they write about being a student. Uh, one of the, the worst pieces of advice I ever hear is write what you know. Um, most of us don't know anything that interesting. Most of us haven't had major, major experiences. But what you can write is from your experience. Mm -hmm. You can write from growing up reading comic books or playing video games or, uh, or watching movies. You can write from what you know. None, uh, almost none of us have been to outer space. I'm sure there's a few that are listening that probably have. <laughs> I know we've done some stuff with NASA. Um, but you have a sense of what it is to tell a space opera, whether you've watched Star Wars or Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica or any number of uh, shows and movies that relate to that. Um, you may not have been a robot, but you can understand how to tell a story like Westworld. Um, your experience and where you come from and what you know, those do shape you as a storyteller. And so I think understanding that is really important. Don't be afraid to talk. Don't be afraid uh, that somebody's going to steal your material. Yes, there are terrible people in this industry. We're finding that more and more over the last uh, six months. Mm -hmm. But there are also amazing people in this industry. And talking about your material, the likelihood that somebody's going to steal your copywritten source material is small. It's not completely gone, but it's small. But you've got to feel comfortable talking about yourself and your material and your work and getting out there and, and talking to people about what you do uh, outside of school. Things like film independent, women in film, uh, any number of those kind of things. Go volunteer. These these film festivals and competitions. Uh, you know, I've mentioned Sundance a few times. Uh, I met multiple friends from Sundance. I met my wife at Sundance. Oh, wow. Um, you know, it's, it's a great place to go be a volunteer. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter and Daily... Or, yeah, I think Hollywood Reporter still does. Daily Variety definitely does. Uh, well, actually, it's a lie. It's no longer Daily Variety. Variety does um, a bunch of events throughout the year. Uh, Deadline and The Wrap, I believe, also do events. There's always things going on Blacklist around town. Blacklist has great events, Blacklist too. has great events. Absolutely. There's always things going on around this town where uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got early on was go out every night. It wasn't go out drinking every night. It wasn't go out partying every night. That will end in tragedy and, and sadness. <laughs> um, what it was was there's always something going on in this town. Right now is a great time because there are all of the screenings from the various places uh, surrounding the award season. Yeah. Um, so you have the ability to go listen to... Uh, who, uh, Greta Gerwig talking about Lady Bird. Uh, you can maybe ask her a question. Uh, talk to her afterwards. Um, Del Toro was just doing Shape of Water around yep, town. Yep. And then I know uh, the Lemleys are going to be doing the shorts soon. Yep. Short, uh, the shorts that were nominated for Oscars. They just screen all of them back to back. And that is a fun day yep. if you've never done it before. And it's a great way to meet people. And it's a great way. You don't have to go and tell people your life story. You don't have to necessarily feel comfortable. But go talk to one person. Go 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 to these events. Talk to somebody. Start to get to meet people and get to know people. Um, we are obviously talking a little bit more if you're Los Angeles centric, mm. but if you're in other places, there's meetups. There's there's um, there's events that happen there. If you're in New York City, if you're in Chicago, if you're in 
Washington or uh, or Portland. There are things that happen in each of these cities, including film festivals. Mm-hmm. Almost every city has some kind of film festival. Even the very teeny tiny ones you would not think have film That's festivals. Right. Have film festivals. Also, take advantage of your online communities. There's yeah. a ton of places. Uh, film Twitter is an incredible, sometimes crazy place, but I've met a lot of people who live in the middle of nowhere who, you know, they now get fl- flown out for junkets to yeah. cover films because they've been talking about them for so long. Yeah. So there's definitely a thank you so much for being sure. here, Adam. This was amazing. I will end with one yeah, last please. thing. One last thing. Work on your craft. Mm. If you're a writer, write. If you're a director, grab your friends, pull them together so that you can that you can go shoot shorts or web series on the weekends. If you're an actor, grab those same friends. Guess what? Make friends with directors and writers so that you can pull the team together. And also know that you are a creative content creator not just a not just a, a, a writer or a director or a producer you have to be able to pull all these pieces together you mentioned the phone mm-hmm. we all have tools now to be able to do it go out there and do it definitely guys get your whole life adam viner was here with us today thank you so much there's so much information uh keep beating your heads against brick walls it's gonna it's going to crack eventually you're gonna get through um next week i it, yeah, I think next week we've got uh, Peter Rayner coming back into the studio. Uh, he, we're going to do like an old school like musical breakdown of Hollywood. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, until then, you can always find us right here at the Popcorn Talk or on NYFA.edu if you guys are looking for more information about the school. LA has an Instagram page now. Go check that out. A lot of fun videos. Um, we just posted stuff from our graduation. Um, congratulations, graduates. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here with us this week. We will see you guys next week right here. Same time, same place. Thanks. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.